our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of the Mission Zero podcast. Uh, Today, my guest is actually a second time guest on my show. Uh, David Reed is the vice president of NOV. He is also a uh, leader in the uh, fight against sexual and human trafficking and slavery. I would call him an absolute warrior um, in helping this problem and and trying to solve this problem. And uh, David, welcome. Thank you. Uh, you know, our first um, meeting was uh, was about a completely different subject. It was about you know our careers and what we're what we do, right? Yeah. And so, uh, in that uh, podcast, um, I learned a pretty amazing thing about you. Towards the end, is that this organization that you started, that you work with, that you lead, uh, called Red M. And mm-hmm. uh, so, I've since that moment, I've volunteered, I've done the training, I've been involved in it, and um, I think. What happened to me or what's happened to me has happened to most people that do it. You get involved just on the outside and you mm. you are deeply affected quickly because you did not know the extent of this. Yeah. You did not know how big of a problem it was and how uh, how many women and children it affected. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> having said that, um, this is part of a, a series that I'm doing uh, to bring awareness. I thought that, you know, if I could do something, awareness is probably the most important thing because so many people are unaware. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a series of interviewing survivors. I actually interviewed my first survivor last night and, you know, and it was, you know, it was absolutely a staggering story to yeah. hear. And, uh, yeah. but also, um, an educational one. And, and it was good to know. Uh, but I also wanted to interview people like you who were on the, uh, on the side that's fighting it. Uh, mm-hmm. can you give me, I guess, where did this begin for you? When did this become something for you? I, I I think what's funny, I mean, I usually say I didn't know anything about trafficking, but as I learned more, I realized I'd been around it, and I, and I didn't know that. Um, so my awareness journey is different than my experience journey. So like most people, it's actually around all of us. And so there's there are places you'll have interacted with it or driven past it or not been aware. So um, when it really began was my kids were going through their mid to late teens. And um, I really wanted to be number one in the family with my wife again. (laughs) (laughs) And so I wanted the kids to leave in a good way. Like I love them, but, but I was like looking forward to a life with my wife. And so I said to her, who are we going to be when, when the kids are gone? I was trying to get her to imagine a different world than the one we were at where we'd spent all our lives, you know, plowing into the kids, looking after them. And, um, she pondered that and she went to a conference and came back and said, I think, I think we're going to fight human trafficking. I knew nothing about the subject. And uh, we went on a journey. We, we looked into an organization called A21 in Greece. We visited them. My wife was looking at working with them and they said she'd have to live there. So we didn't, knew that wasn't possible, came back. And then in the newspaper that weekend when we came back, there was a 14-year-old who'd been trafficked uh, in Houston and it was in the paper. 
so she followed up with the lady. She got trained. She started doing um, undercover work in Houston because we couldn't work out why things were not moving in Houston when it, with this issue that seemed really obvious. Uh, so she did a lot of training, um, started doing casework with some people who were at risk, some who were trafficked and getting going through the courts. Um, we had people live with us. Uh, we started to work with different things. And then I think I, I she was doing a, a case visit. She was picking someone up at the airport. And uh, she told me she had a police escort. And I was like, well, why why do you need a police escort? And she explained um, the the breadth and depth of the organizations behind this. And that was really scary. That's when I realized this isn't light stuff. And um, so I encouraged her to do less of what she was doing. And so she did. She started working with a recovery home called Redeemed in Houston. And she was in their board for about five years. And then as I got to know them and we did work with survivors, um, they asked me to come on the board. And when I came on the board, um, all along that journey, I was learning more and more and more about the subject. Um, then I started to realize I'd been around it and seen it. Um, I even made a film about 1960 in Houston because there was so much, uh, so many illicit massage parlors that I was able to do research on and find out they were all trafficking that wasn't wasn't massage. Mm. So I made a little film, showed it to people at work. But that, I mean, that was about all that I was doing. I talked about it with people. But when I got on the board, I realized how much money it cost to do recovery work because of the uh, the trauma and um, basically uh, brainwashing that happens in the process. So um, I could tell it was cost a lot of money and I uh, thought they're terrible at marketing. I can do marketing. And so I put out a note on LinkedIn just in general saying who wants to help an organization that, that uh, helps recover people from sex trafficking with their marketing muscle. About 57,000 views overnight, and then that kept growing. And so within five days, I just gathered people in Houston. Almost all of them knew nothing about trafficking. We educated them and then said, okay, let's brainstorm. What could we do? And we came up with ideas. Um, I had people in groups and had people come up and you know choose someone in your group to explain what you, what you discussed you might do. Then I said, okay, those of you who got up, you're in charge of that department, and uh, we'll take it from here. We'll meet in a month. And so Red M started with that, and uh, we're about five years old now. And we basically found that as professionals, we could give back out of our skill base, which was, I think, giving people something they can do was really important, you know, because I think when you hear the, the size of the problem or the complexity of the problem, how do you do something? And and at first I thought we can help these organizations. That was my first logic because we need to help these people who do recovery. Um, and then over time I started to realize the politicians are the ones who really need to take action. And without everybody having an opinion uh, on the problem, which is this is the worst uh, epidemic of slavery in the history of mankind, and we're in the middle of it. So the only thing we can do is let people know and let the politicians learn that it matters, and then they will be influenced to do something about it. But in the meantime, it's not on their radar. And so it just goes untouched. And so we continue with this in plain sight trafficking happening around us. So how exactly would you, the Red M organization, what would you describe it as? as what, what does exactly does Red M do? We, we find ways for professionals to get involved. And, and I think everyone doing a little something, it doesn't really matter what it is, um, is the answer. Because when you touch the problem, 
you go on your own journey of learning. And mm. some people can't take the whole story. And so we've learned that just getting people involved. So it's funny, organizations will give us large checks and say, here you go. And and I'll literally say, that's great, thank you. But um, I'd like to reach your people, not have your money, which most of them are shocked because everyone's trying to get money. I don't think money can fix the problem, but I think we should be helping these organizations. So it's more um, finding a way for people to to be involved in any small way because once people have given of their time or their talent, then they they start to get deeper in and work out what they can cope with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we do. We studied the. There's maybe 36 organizations in Houston that do anti-trafficking something. Um, we looked at their digital footprint and assessed that the amount of people they're reaching equals the amount of people working in the space, which meant they were reaching no one but each other. So we we really quickly realized this is not an easy subject to communicate, and the ways people are communicating about it aren't aren't working. Um, so we started to just develop strategies to get more people, more markets involved, more companies, more individuals. So everything is about people choosing to do things that will cause more reach and more education. Yeah, when you said your own journey, uh, you're right about that. It, it, it is kind of a um, it, it is kind of diving in a rabbit hole a little mm-hmm. bit because you know some people you know as much as I've learned already, I wasn't ready to hear yeah. the details of a gritty story yeah. yesterday, and uh, it affected me. Mm. We had to we had to, we had to stop. I mean, it was yeah. it was an amazing, uh, horrific journey, and and I guess you're right that people, some people don't want to ha- can't handle that. No, I I, th- I think when you think about it, it's that some people like horror movies. Mm-hmm. A lot don't. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's the some people are equipped. Uh, some people are going to go dive in and change their life. Everything they do will be about this subject. That's generally who everyone's talking to when mm-hmm. they when they create these stories to reach people. They use shock and horror and gore and blood and and um, for the average person, you know, the, that core information says you need to stop what you're doing in your life and make this your whole life journey. Um, so you're you're really try aiming at activists. Um, but if you have a life and it's too confusing or too complex and it causes all these emotions, you'll choose to avoid it. Mm. So we we actually studied that early on. We were looking at um, the the uh, communities that lived around the death camps in in Second World War, and and they all had certain behaviors that you can see. Where uh, I think it was at Belson, where they they all one side of the buildings have shutters. Um, not because of the sun, but because on that side of of the was of the town was where they were burning people at night, and so the families chose to let's make sure we can't see it and protect our families from seeing it. That's what happens for most people in trafficking. Is if it's not how do I protect my family, um, not how do I stop the Nazis because it seems so big. Mm that you can't do anything. And so usually I drive people down a road of, we know people who are like Schindler, like who are doing something. And I use that example. I use my Liam Neeson set, four different Liam Neesons, to help people understand that it's not like Taken. You know, everyone thinks it's like Taken. Yeah. So that's the first kind of Liam Neeson. So it's not that, there's only, you know, 2% or something being pulled off the street. Um, it's it's our kids now. Um, that they're they've got access through social media and other things, and they they very carefully craft a grooming process 
um, to draw people away from their families and to create separation where it looks like they're choosing a new lifestyle. I want, I want to dig a little deeper into that. Um, but first, why do you why do you think that uh, such a large problem is largely unseen? Do you think people are just choosing what you said to say, okay, no, it's so large, I can't do anything about I it? I think that's part of it. I think that that makes them not hook into the subject mm-hmm. um, so that they just don't even they don't even recognize it. Um, but I think it's actually designed that the traffickers aren't just some person on the street who's a pimp selling a person. Um, this is a very well-crafted psychological game. Mm-hmm. And we're included in that game. So we're all being managed. Um, you might go to a, um, a buffet restaurant that's like three ninety five, and you think three ninety five for dinner, huh? And then you go in there, and there's a there's a guy at the door who's a bit ominous, and then there's cameras around. You don't stop and say, "Well, why are there cameras in a buffet that's three ninety five? Was because everyone in there is trafficked." But you'll go and eat in that place and leave and not think another thing about it. So it's 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 a strange like there's trafficking around us all the time. You get a bargain anything. Here's a special price. I had H and P reached out once. They said we're getting offered these rig mats, and and the price is way too low. We think there might be human trafficking involved. So we got people involved. That's the kind of awareness you need. Yeah. Like that price is too low. Some uh, solar panels today, right? I mean, there's there's things. There's trafficking behind those numbers, you know. There's 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 all the bargain things um, root in this, like our desire to just have a life the way we want to have it. And so we we drive past massage parlors that have people locked inside them today, you know. I'll drive home past them, and at you know eleven o'clock at night, the lights are on and it says open. Yeah. But but that so it's happening around us all over. Uh, when when you live around survivors, they'll show you. One lady I was driving, and she said, do you see that girl there walking? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, she's trafficked. And I'm like, how? She's walking on her own. And she goes, well, well, I'll find. Hold on. There'll be a spotter here somewhere. And so she did. She put, oh, there's the guy. They're watching her because they're they're walking between jobs, and they have people watching you all the time. And it's an incredible complex system that is in plain sight. It's crazy, but it's well designed for you to, if you ever learn anything about it, it seems too big, seems too scary. It's not really affecting you. Um, then, you know, most kids who are trafficked look like runaways. You hear about kids who have these older boyfriend, this girl's an older boyfriend and runs away. Oh, that's so sad. You know, they were into drugs or they were into something. And then they just ran away. We lost our child. It's really sad, but no one's like, no, your kid was trafficked. That's exactly what happened to the survivor I spoke to last night. Yeah. It was it, it was an instance where her family just thought that she got into drugs, yeah. and got into prostitution on her own, and no. this is all. Well, and she uh, she's made to think that way too. Yes. So so the in the older trafficking ten years ago, the international, they'd always still have the same thing where they'd have a point so that the person believes they chose it. Mm-hmm. So here here in in the U.S., they would bring in international women. They'd keep moving them between cities, never teach them the language, and they'd be told they're paying off a debt to be in America. Mm-hmm. Then they release them about one o'clock in the morning on the street. They have at it. They can't speak English. They walk around, talk to people. It gets a bit scary. They come back and knock on the door and say, "I want back in." Mm-hmm. You just chose it. So they're always looking for that. That's the psychological trick. 
that happens where they build relationships. They'll spend one to three years working on someone to win them over. And uh, and today, they're, they're, what, 82% of, of the trafficking in the States are Americans, which everyone assumes they're from other countries. Um, but that's changed to a lot more Americans now being trafficked, a lot more kids are aiming at the 12 to 14-year-old age. Um, and so they're they're doing a process that that makes them believe they're running away from home. They're different. They fit in a different crowd. They play into teens particularly because that that psychologically is happening anyway. I don't feel like my family. I feel smarter. Then on social media they're writing, you know, or, I wish my parents understand. I want to be a famous you know singer on TikTok or yeah. or whatever. And the trafficker just goes right into that. Says, you know what, you're a great singer. Have you ever thought about? And suddenly they're falling in love with someone who's saying all the words that they psychological thought. Psychological warfare. Psychological warfare. When she was telling me the story last night, it it um, it reminded me of basic training boot camp mm-hmm. about the breakdown and to build yeah. you back up. And yeah. what they uh, what they were doing or what they try to perceive themselves doing is filling a void, mm-hmm. a void uh, in the life of a child that may not be loved. Oh as, yeah, as they should. Anything. Yeah. Anything. Every kid has it. So that's what we're learning is, I mean, there are vulnerable groups. Yeah. There's poverty, there's single moms, there's there's things they'll target. Um, but it, it can be confusing to, tar- to talk too much about the vulnerable groups because vulnerability exists in all teens. Yeah. Because their natural separation from parents because they're growing to be adults. Uh, they use that as opportunity. I mean, poor parental relationships, particularly fathers, that's a target for them. So that's why there's a lot of male to female because of poor fathering is they just don't know how to grow a, a teenage girl. It's a hard thing. Uh, LGBTQ for boys, it's a target because yeah. the family is rejecting already perfect. Mm-hmm. So you'll find it, you know, the 25% that are boys is they're, they're targeting that community because they're already exiting the family. So which you just said 25% of targeted youth are boys. Mm-hmm. I think most people would think that's a, wouldn't have imagined it that high. Yeah, well, the the markets for them, they think of people as product, and these are markets. Um, the more extreme, the higher the price. And so boys are a high-priced item yeah. to them, and mm. they think that way. And so children and old people, we've had a six-year-old woman come through who was on a dating site and got trafficked, you know, and it's vulnerable, yeah. you know, vulnerable and can take advantage of that. So, so uh what I kind of want, the, you know, I would, I wanted you to explain and, and have the audience know is that what you just did is that it's not a smash and grab. They're not, no. they're not picking people up off the streets. They're no. walking home from school. And, and those stories sell, and so everyone, everyone will bring me those stories. Yeah. There's a girl in Dallas got taken out of a sports stadium. Isn't that shocking? Well, when I first came to the states in the eighties, that was the story: babies getting stolen from grocery stores. You know. Yeah. Well, that, that's not effective for the traffickers. So they're business people and they've worked a model where psychological, well, if you can have someone choose to be with you and choose this lifestyle, they let them flee. They don't chase because they're coming back. They make sure they get a prostitution record if they can. That's a great barrier. They'll never work again. So you told that was actually the first conversation we have. Can you explain exactly what you said there? So, so when um, there are, there are, strips in every town where where prostitutes hang out and the police are there usually. Um, And so that's usually a very easy way to put some kid out there. They'll get arrested for the evening. Then the the next morning they'll go and they'll they'll pay bail and take them out. 
Um, even though they're traffickers, it's amazing how that can even happen in our system, but it does. And they'll walk, you know, with these kids. And But now they have a record. Now almost every corporation isn't going to give you a job. You can get a low-level job. Some like Starbucks, you can get a job. Um, but that's it. Yeah. Some of them are come out of college, you know, they've got they've got degrees, they they could do other jobs, they just can't work there anymore. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a wild thing. One way you can you can be in contact and talking to someone regularly. Although you will see controlled communications. So that person we can only talk to at times we pre-agreed if you text them, they're not available. Um the lady last night, uh, and, I, and I don't want to dwell on this, but the lady last night said that her phone, every message that she sent, was <laughs> they could see it. Every yeah. call she made, yeah. they could see it on her phone. It's a controlled she environment. She had one phone, and they, they were given a bag of stuff, and yep. their phone, and that's just for them. Yeah. But um, So we know a little bit about uh, some details about what's going on, how it happens, uh, you know, how can this possibly happen. You kind of give a good explanation of that. You're involved um, – I'd like to move a little bit to the process of recovery yeah. and, what you, and what you're doing in recovery. So um, you, see, you mentioned a few that you're currently in the path of rescue for, and you also mentioned uh, Redeemed mm. uh, Redeemed House. And and I've trained there and did the training there, and those they're just outstanding people. Yeah. Um, can you tell a little bit about what they do and, and how sure. the process works? Sure. Redeemed is targeting a, um, an, a group that is easy to keep your um, – your house open because <laughs> that, that sounds odd, but but actually the government doesn't do well with helping facilitate care for underage kids. So mm. Redeem's over 18 and mm. International's complicated. So they're U.S. over 18, eight beds. And they started at one, went to, I think it was two, then four, then eight. Um, but probably eight's the max you could do efficiently with a, with a house. Most others in Houston have opened and closed. Um, they find it hard to stay open. So Redeemed has actually ran for over a decade now. Hundreds of girls have gotten help. So they they go through a process, and they're they're probably the experts in the space at doing recovery because it's a it's an it's an ongoing learning. If you rescued everyone today because of the mind control, um, about eighty percent of them would go back. Um, so rescue isn't enough. And so what they do is they understand trauma. So um, that care is very unique and specific. So as they as they care for people, they get up into the 75, 80% that will not go back. And there's a bit of a cycle as well. Some will go back and then come back and go. Because they all think when they're going to get a job and they don't make much money, they remember that they were passing thousands you know, of dollars to someone. And they're like, I can easily go back and take control of common story. They go back and then find out, oh, no, I'm back in the game. Um, so they can't really do that, but they think they can. So having the, the, the services that matter, so Redeemed will take them from A to B, like this will take me from I'm, I survived to I'm an overcomer, like I'm, I'm able to get out and have a life. Then there's another group. So in that process, there's two groups that help them, uh, Hands of Justice that we support as well. So that's a survivor-led help group. Um, that works with uh, the psychology and the, the 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 you know all of that help through the mental state into uh, into a survivor you know who can live as an overcomer, and then twelve eleven that actually bridges to the how do I get work how do I live well how do I recover my life and so they're all people working at different stages so we support those three twelve eleven is also survivor led so someone who's been trafficked that runs it. 
I'll be interviewing her as well. In the oh, series. okay, good, yeah. good, mm-hmm. Kathy. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she's good. But that, um, so they're they're all doing important work, and then just in the last six months, or well, maybe now nine months, um, we started working with one of the ladies who does the most recovery work in in the business. So she's twenty plus years doing rescue as well as taking down traffickers. Um, so we needed her because people were finding their kids were in this situation. So when you describe grooming, there's people, we had someone in the senior leadership at Red M who said, I just realized my daughter is being about to be trafficked. You know, she's in the process of grooming, I think. So we would say, okay, get us a photograph of the boyfriend and the name. And we put it through to this PI and she said, no, that's, that's a trafficker. That's not a boyfriend. So we've had about four of those cases lately, which are great. I much prefer to stop the process, but but these are just regular people, very well off, um, but not. It's not. So the idea that it's just the vulnerable groups that you would imagine, it's everybody. It's everyone's kids who are at risk, and so having a way to do that is really helpful for us. So we fund that as well. So we have a we have people give to us on a regular basis, which you can do at joinredm.com. You can do a regular payment. Um, or you can just donate on spot. But what we do is then those four organizations, we will stack up our finances to make sure that they always get the same check every quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we make more over time, then we're increasing that amount or we're increasing the amount of coverage of organizations. But but what we do for most companies is most of them are faith-based, um, but we're um, we actually go in and make sure the money goes to survivors um, not to religious programs, which a lot of the faith-based organizations are doing a bit of both, or a lot of one and, and not much of the other. And so we we go in and actually audit that to make sure the money goes to survivors and it's pure humanitarian work so that companies can get behind it. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, Red M is not a faith-based organization, so it allows us um, to be the handler of the money as well as managing who it's going to, and are they, you know, are they mostly faith or are they a mix or are they really just doing humanitarian work? So that way, companies can give without worrying about. I'm just supporting some church organization. So the organizations that Red M support, uh, you said there were four of them. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, 1211 Partners, yeah. uh, which is focused on vocation, getting on with your life, yeah. moving forward. Uh, Redeem Ministries, that's kind of taking them in from the beginning. Right? Yes. That's uh, going through the uh, deprogramming. Yeah. Is that a good word for yeah. it? Uh, yeah. You know, and what, what deprogramming think, and healing. Yeah. Yeah. And healing. So, one thing they, a couple of things I learned in the training there, um, you know, about the trauma and, mm-hmm. and it stuck with me. It's about the trauma never leaves. You, no. They don't teach you to disappear the trauma. They teach you, they got to teach them how to deal with it. And it, it's a it's a sad truth. I, I think about it um, and people I've known who've, I've known them before trafficking as young people. And then when they've, it doesn't matter how long it has been that they've been trafficked, but something happens in their eyes. There's a loss of life uh, that, and their their whole, how they hold themselves, that that is just awful to watch. Mm. And then you see that recover, but it's it's never, you're right, it's never gone. Yeah. And so that's why the the stop it before it happens game is really important. That's where it's not just people being aware; it's people stopping it happening with their friends, their kids, their relatives. Um, people need to know it's the new stranger danger that we have to really get out there. So uh, when I when I make the announcement for the podcast, I'm going to put a link to every one of those organizations so people yeah. can learn about them. They can yeah. donate and things like that. Um, <clears throat> before we end, though, I wanted you. Uh, 
if someone came to you and said, hey, David, what are some of these key facts about um, about this this sex slavery, sex mm-hmm. trafficking? Like, you know, I put on there, and I forget the exact number, but 300 and something, 390 or traffic. 317,000 back in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, UT and the uh, governor's office did some studies and came up with 317,000 trafficked in Texas. In Texas alone. Mm-hmm, that year. I think that would shock most people when they hear it's that. It's a big number. So, uh, and is it bigger? We don't know. I, I, these numbers are extrapolated. Um, mm-hmm. I did my own study back maybe around that time, maybe before then. I came up with um, illicit massage parlors, which are mostly, now we're talking the 18% of international traffic, but the numbers I could came up with on when you used to have uh, sites that would sell sex, you could actually go on and see it. So you could actually do the calculation. And I back calculated that um, three times the amount of Starbucks in Houston for illicit massage parlors. Mm-hmm. So just to give you an idea, that's that's brothels tra- trafficking humans. And, you- and it's every time you see Starbucks, it's like times two. Or two or times three, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you know, guys. You know, that's a kind of a somehow have been almost a joke. It's a kind of a laughing oh, thing. It's the like the whole rock, culture of well, for men to understand, yeah. no woman chooses prostitution without child abuse yeah. at some point, and it's it's not fair to say because people come out of that life, but it's. It, I don't know other other information. I've not met a woman who really chose it without something happened to their life. Mm-hmm. If you really study into it, you always find there is some There's crisis. And and they don't because no child is growing up saying, I really want to be a prostitute. It's not a it's not a natural thing. Um and women understand it better because their psychology is a bit different and, and men think of it as like, oh it's always been here. You know, they always say prostitution is the you know oldest profession. Oldest whatever. profession and and but the oldest profession is Taking advantage of vulnerable people is the oldest profession, and that's just one of the outcomes. I don't think most guys who talk about the massage parlor culture mm. uh, realize they don't, that and they're slaves there. And and it's actually my probably my biggest motivator over mm. these years because I everywhere I went, um, in the in the hotel, restaurant, or bar, there's prostitutes mm. from all over the world, usually from other places, which I should have cottoned on. I mean, Korea. You're seeing, you know, you're in China, you're seeing it, you're in Saudi, but I'm seeing Russian girls in all those places because the Russian mob was probably the first to start exporting. Um, but but people don't know, and, and men who have this experience don't realize that if the woman doesn't tell the story she's been told to tell, she will be beaten or some some other consequence will happen. Yeah. And they're very afraid of that. So they tell stories. So men go and have these experiences thinking these women are choosing it for, strangely enough, the exact same reason. I, I like it and I want the money and it's good for my college or it's good for some other story that isn't true. And and man, I've told many men, like, this is just not true. And they're like, mm. I asked one of the ladies who live with us, I said, did men say you have the best job ever? She said, almost all of them. Mm. Just thought that was a great job. And so it's that misunderstanding of men. So that's my my prime goal that I can cope with is there are people who are making life choices that I don't agree with, but let's just say you imagine this is a free person and me and we're just exchanging money for sex and what's wrong with that. So, okay, cool. You you think that way. I don't believe they know they're involved in slavery. Yeah. And, I, and I want them, and I want them to know. Yeah. 
and I'm willing to go anywhere to tell that story. Well, I'm, I'm going to put the information uh, when we release it about how to get in touch with uh, different organizations that yep. you're part of and what they do. Um, I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, you would tell people, hey, you don't have to dedicate your life to this. Every little thing no, helps. No, that's right? our, I, I think doing something. Well, we all don't want to get on in 20 years and someone looks back and said, when the big Houston slavery crisis was happening, what were you doing? Did you do anything about <laughs> exactly. it? Exactly. And I want to, I want everyone to have done something and it doesn't matter what it is. Well, David, I think a lot of people admire you for your business acumen. You're, you're, you're a fashion icon as well. So, you know, I admire you for this. Uh, mm. I can't believe you have the time and the energy to put into mm. it that you do. Uh, and your story led me to this, and so I appreciate that. And and I would call you a warrior in this in this mm. fight, and 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 I greatly admire it. And thank you for coming on the podcast today to give some insight into um, how big the situation is, and and ba and also probably the greatest thing: tell everybody the avenue they can come to help. Sure, show them away. And yeah. So, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate it. Great. Thanks Thank for having me. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service, and be sure to give us a five-star review.